Hi guys, welcome to the Powerful AF Podcast. My name is Bracey Dutton and I share on the internet how I healed my food addiction by ditching toxic thoughts and ingredients. This podcast is all about empowering you with the knowledge to get on the other side of food addiction. A lot of it has to do with food and a lot more of it has to do with healing our mindset. We'll talk about healing trauma, getting rid of those nasty limiting beliefs that are holding us back and how to fully step into your power and own your life. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, keep listening. Food addiction has very little to do with food. It has everything to do with mindset and healing your relationship with yourself and developing a new way of thinking that creates a lifestyle change. And that's why I'm so excited to have Holly Birdie on with me today because she is a relatability coach and I'm going to have her explain her role and what she does in the realm of coaching. But I met her through a a training called Sacred Feminine a couple weekends ago in the same community of this transformational training that I went through. And she was in the community. And the way that she spoke, I was like, I have to have her on my podcast because so much of my community struggles with the all or nothing, the fear of fear. And that overwhelmed feeling when it comes to tackling anything in our life, but especially tackling the way that we see food. So Holly, Mm -hmm. I'm so excited to have you here and have this conversation with you. So please introduce yourself and um, kind of how you found yourself in this realm of coaching, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you for having me. And I'm touched and honored to be here. And before I share on how I fell into coaching. I'll also mention, Bracey, that you don't know my full wellness journey yet with my own weight and food situations. So there are so many things that I have to say too about diet culture and mindset. And so I love this match. This is really fun. Okay. Coaching. Oh my goodness. Well, my actual training, professional training is in secondary education. I was a middle school and high school teacher, science teacher for 10 years. And inevitably what caused me to leave the teaching profession and pursue something else was the death of my dad. Uh, My father was a person who was challenged with heart disease and type two diabetes for a very long time, but my dad didn't have a pending doom And so meaning that every time he was hospitalized or something happened, he would bounce back and get better. And then one day he just didn't. And it was so hard on me because I'm not a daddy's girl, but I was my father's daughter. I very much take after my dad, my personality. And it was one of those hit you over the head with a two by four moment to say, okay, what's important to me? What do I want to do? And so I took that opportunity, this was in 2013, to go to a women's retreat. At the time, I lived in South Florida, I flew out to California, and this women's retreat asked a lot of these powerful questions about what is important to you. And they were coaching questions, but I wasn't familiar with the industry of coaching. I was barely familiar with the industry of personal development but I just thought it was really cool. And I met all these other women and we did these powerful outdoor yoga sessions and the energy was so synchronistic and and just beautiful. One of the most profound experiences. And I made all these friends when I came back to Florida to my classroom and work and my life and dealing with my grief with my dad's passing. One of the women said to me, you know, you would be a fantastic life coach. And I thought, what's a life coach? I'm, I'm here teaching chemistry and coaching weightlifting. Like what is a life coach? This is so outside my realm of anything I'd never, ever heard of. And so I did a little bit of homework about it and I hired a business coach and I took the leap. I left teaching that year. And it wasn't only because I had this idea that I wanted to make a big difference or because I had this jarring moment of my dad passing, it really was a life is right now moment. It put an urgency on things. 
And more so, I've always known that I was to make a, a big impact. And I will never look down on my teaching profession. In fact, I very much am very protective of teachers. And I worked with 150 kids a year just in my classroom, let alone all the kids that I mentored, which also parlays into coaching. So in time, I just knew my stage was destined to be bigger. And I knew I was supposed to speak to a wider audience. And there's something that's always come so easily to me. And I think this is what the women at that conference saw. And it is a level of vulnerability that I didn't even know that I possessed until others pointed it out to me. I always thought I was a person who simply overshared, right? Like I, I share too much. I'm too emotional. I'm too open. My heart is on my sleeve. Oh, this, this relationship didn't work out. And if it, if I would tell myself a relationship didn't work out because I was too fat, the next in line excuse would be, it didn't work out because I'm too emotional or I want, I love too much. And I was feeding myself pun intended these lies. And I learned about coaching. It was in 2014 that I then took the transformational leadership training that you and I have both completed. Um, I loved that line of work. I loved witnessing people's light bulb moments and helping them define and seek out for themselves. Who am I now? What are my values and principles that mean the most to me in this world? And how can I live my life in a way where how I feel and how I act and how I speak all feel congruent to the vision and the message that I want to leave behind through myself, through my family, through my community, through my job, et cetera. And so I worked for that company until they went out of business because of lockdown and workshops were not happening. And, uh, and on the side, this entire time, I've been coaching people privately on relationships. And what I have always found to be a superpower in all relationships is that level of vulnerability. And I, truth be told, didn't understand <laughs> what vulnerability was as compared to being, quote, too emotional until, again, around that time, 2014, 2015. So that's how I, I slowly in time made my way toward what I do now. So I know my focus today and my mission is to support people in recognizing that they can have healthy boundaries and say no without having guilt, because then that means that in turn, they're saying yes to themselves and that they can do so in an authentic and realistic and compassionate way that actually works. Wow. Beautiful <clears throat> and so in line with the message that I want to get across to all the people that I talk to, because that, that for me was that what was at the foundation of my healing, because what held me back for so long was my lack of boundaries, my being so concerned about what other people thought or what other people thought of me, or if I live in this way or talk in this way or eat in this way, they're going to think that I think that I'm better than them or like just so many stories in my head. And that was honestly the number one thing that held me back. And I know that it holds a lot of people back from stepping into what, and it's interesting because we know, especially when it comes to wellness, like I hear this all the time. I know exactly what I should be doing. Why aren't I doing it? I know what food is healthy. I know I need to move my body. I know I need to prioritize my sleep, but I'm not doing it. And oftentimes it comes down to, well, it would inconvenience my partner or it would my kids or my work, or, you know, there's just so many things. And something else that you said that was so relatable <laughs> is the wearing your heart on your sleeve and like oversharing. That has always been me too. Like, my whole entire life over sure. I mean, I was a kid in class who got in trouble for talking all good grades on my, on my report <laughs> card, but she talks too much, was always a little note 
on the report card, which is probably why we both have a podcast. Yep. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I would love to hear your story with wellness. And I feel like that'll just really segue us into the deeper conversation that we're supposed to be having. I don't think we need a really scripted. I think since you've lived it and you're a coach and you know, um, whatever message needs to be heard today will be heard through you sharing your story and me relating and asking questions. So dive into what that looks like for you. I'm super excited to hear about it. Yeah. Thank you. I, so I grew up a heavy kid. My parents divorced when I was three and as an adult and many, many, many years after looking at how did I come to that lifestyle of essentially overeating and holding on to and gaining weight from a very, very, very young age, because my parents split when I was so young, I witnessed my mother doing the most. I lived with my mom and my mom took care of my brother and myself. I was three and my brother was one when my parents split. So she went to, was working three jobs to hold things together and what we had, we lived a very privileged life. And I I feel aware enough and conscious enough to say that. But the amount of pressure that my mother put on herself was very, very high. Being both mother, being father. And then on top of that, all of us, including her, struggling with being overweight. Mm -hmm. And my mother grew up in an environment where her sister was a decade younger than her. My mother always had the weight, the overweight challenge, whereas my aunt, her sister did not have that. And there was a lot of jealousy and a lot of self-loathing from my mother to herself all through her life. And even to this day, because she was in constant comparison of she wanted to embody what she saw as the beauty of her sister and not in herself. And I witnessed that. And I observed that and my mother's way of providing for us, in addition to the actual things was treats and food. And I became my mother's eating buddy. And again, these are all things that are happening that I don't recognize until I'm, you know, I'm about to turn 43, but I don't recognize these things until I'm in my thirties and really diving through this. I had my first Weight Watchers meeting when I was 11 years old. And I remember taking my little paper to fifth grade class and had it on my desk after lunch. And I was checking off the boxes of what I ate at lunch and the kids at my table were laughing at me. And I already felt so different and ostracized because one, I was already heavy and did not look like the other kids. And two, now I had to fix it. And then that made me different also. So enter into middle school, I gained weight a little bit more in eighth grade. I rejoined Weight Watchers again. I lost weight again. I, between eighth grade and high school, was going to a new high school where I knew no one. And if you look at my photos from my eighth grade to my ninth grade, I just got much heavier, gained it all back. And then through high school, I became larger and larger. And the heaviest I ever was was when I was 19 years old. So it was my senior year of high school and then into my freshman year of college. And again, I didn't see what I was doing. And I I felt like I was missing out on so much in my life. Everything from, I didn't have my first kiss until I was 19, let alone had a boyfriend, let alone was invited to things. I wasn't bullied. I I was very lucky to have very loving, supportive friends, but the dynamic at home of my mother judging herself so harshly taught me to do the same to myself. And all of the eating was my coping mechanism because I also was raised by parents. My dad was around, but both of my parents were emotionally immature for different reasons. And I didn't learn the emotional intelligence to cope with the things I was feeling, like the grief when I would go to dad's house and it was all unfamiliar, things like that. So enter into 
I'm 19 years old and my dad and I are having a conversation and I call him crying because the girls on my floor in my dorm all went to a party and they asked me to take pictures of them before they left. And then they were like, bye, Holly, have a good night. Peace out. I was so devastated that I was, I felt like it was in my face a little too much and called my father. And my dad says, Holly, you know, the real reason why you're upset is because you're overweight. And that's the real reason you're unhappy. And until you fix that, the things that you want are not going to come to you. Like the boyfriend, like the friends, like the popularity. And my father at this point too, had remarried to a woman who, when we found out after her passing, was an active alcoholic and an active bulimic. So these things were just reinforced from every angle. My stepmom would say, don't wear those. You're going to wear those shorts. You're, you've got your, your cottage cheese legs are out. Don't wear that. I've got my mother saying fat is bad, but then here have this dessert with me at every meal. And then my dad is in and out of the hospital and has a heart attack when I'm 12. And it goes on and on. it was just so confusing for a young kid. At 26, I met the man that would become my first husband. And hopefully I will. I, I got a divorce years later. I don't, I don't want it to tell like I've racked up husbands because I haven't. I've only been married once. So I met the man that eventually became my then husband. And I met him because I was looking, I had taken on when my dad gave me those words when I was 19, I went into like weight loss mode. And on my own, I lost like over a few summers and things like that. I, I think I lost about 70 pounds using the Weight Watcher model. And then it topped out and it stalled for years, did not move down, up, down, up. So frustrating. I was cardioing my life away, <laughs> knew nothing, knew nothing else. And then my dad, uh, or rather I met a friend who said, Hey, there's this fitness guy. He owns a supplement company. Talk to him. So I talked to him. He offers to help me change up my nutrition. And he says to me, well, you're going to have to get up and, you know, do an hour of fasted cardio four mornings a week. And I said, well, I'm a teacher and it's February and it's snowing here. And he says to me, well, do you want this or don't you? Because I only work with people who want it. And not only did I do it and prove him wrong and had that like great success in terms of the aesthetic and the fitness and fitness became my life and it became my new obsession but then I also like married that man and our whole lifestyle was around gym time and macro counting. And I took up running and I took up weightlifting and that was my focus and my passion for so many years. And after my marriage and in the next relationship I had after that, I remember my dad passed and I got on the elliptical that day. And I was on the elliptical and I was still relatively fit. And because this was like the end of my super fit era. And I remember crying on the elliptical and thinking, I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to be that person whose dad died. And then I got super big again. I'm not going to be that person. And all that resistance to it came up and I fought it. And lo and behold, no shocker at all. 10 months later, I found out my thyroid is busted mm -hmm. and I have hypothyroidism, which is genetic in my family. And I gained back in the course of a year with the, in the wrong medications and a poor physician's team that would not listen to me. I put on like 75 pounds in a year, still working out, still counting macros. I felt like I was broken on the inside, broken on the outside. My dad was gone. My relationship ended. And this is when I had started that leadership training. But what was so powerful in that time is I was in a position in my life where I had not been that weight in so many years that I had no choice but to use the tools I was learning in the training and the tools that Liz and I teach in that workshop that you took. I had no choice but to finally say, you know what? How do I love this? Because if I can love this, 
then I can be whatever kind of fit and healthy that I want. And I don't have to wait for myself to be smaller or of a certain conditioning to say I'm beautiful and I'm worthy and my life is going well. And that's the journey that I've been on. And I'm in the moments, it was so tough, (laughs) but I mean, you said it, trying everything under the sun. I still have conversations about, um, I'm still actively now working with my physician's team and my nutritionist and, you know, drop, but my weight loss is very, very slow. You know, I lose 30 pounds in a year. And for some people that's not fast enough, but for me, that gets to be fast enough. And it's things like that. And I have to be gentle with myself and remind myself that I still get to live my life too in all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, Holly, I know everything you just said is so relatable because, you know, I am so honored to have like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments on some of my videos and they're all sharing so many similar things to what you just shared. And honestly, the most impactful thing is like not feeling alone because how alienated did you feel like throughout that whole process? And so many people still are in it, you know, and isn't it, for me, it's interesting to think. And I think for me, like I went through this transformation and I kind of had to be slapped in the face with like, not everyone is where you're at, Bracey. Like people need you to share your story so that they can know, like, it's possible to go from that to where you are now. And honestly, like, yes, I lost weight and I've gained some back and I'm still just as happy as I was like, and all that it's been is like me taking care of myself. So did you have any experiences with that where, or are you in that experience now, especially going through the transformational training where it's like, you said you had all the resistance So, I mean, for me, it was like, as soon as I stopped trying to lose weight, I started losing weight, but really I just started getting happier and I started loving myself for the first time ever in my entire life. And what that created was me taking actions that reflected the fact that I loved myself. Did you have that? Have you? Oh yeah. (laughs) Yes. In a word. Yes. And I think something that I want to share about loving myself is I always felt so uncomfortable anytime someone would tell me, you've got to love yourself before you can love anybody else, or you've got to love yourself before you can be in a loving relationship or insert that phrase wherever. And I've never been a fan of it only because when I look back on how I used to focus in on that phrase, I made it mean that I have to love myself all the time. Mm. And I didn't. And I thought, oh my goodness, everyone out here, they, who has a happy relationship or has good health or a stereotypical fit body, et cetera, they all love themselves every day, man, like I must be garbage. What is wrong with me? And so something that was supposed to be intended for good got twisted in my mind of another way for me to be perfect. And it did, it did backfire. And I would look at (laughs) all the ways that I wasn't loving myself. So that's the first thing I want to highlight. And the second thing I'll say to, to your audience and anyone who's hearing this and going, oh my gosh, that's surprisingly relatable, which is the name of my podcast. Yes. So is what I'll say is self-love is to me, at least not something so simple that I flip a switch and it just happened in my life. And even the way that I just, I tell my story, it might sound like it, it came on right away, but it didn't. It really was a series of events and steps over time. And I had to reframe what it meant to love myself. Mm-hmm. And 
most people will think of spa days and working out and eating fruits and vegetables and clean things. And at the end of the day, for me, it was, do I care about my well-being? And am I showing myself care in some way today about my well-being? And I've also learned, and this is how I operate today, that holistically, myself as a whole person, all of us as a whole person, we are not only our physical body, we are also our, our physical body, our mental body, our emotional body, and our spiritual body. So sometimes self-care is not going to look like me nurturing my physical body. I might nurture my physical body all day long and still feel off or still feel bad. And it's because my spirit is asking for support. It's, it's because my mindset is craving something else or my emotions need to be soothed. And so now I look at not only, okay, what do I think I need right now, but which part of me is asking? And that helped me to nurture that spot. And I feel like then it's a, it's a lot less of all or nothing. And now it's shifted to, can I listen to myself? And can I remember to ask myself, what do I need? Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I see myself moving in the direction of the more less physical things and more of the spiritual and emotional and mental connections, because that is the only reason I had any sort of transformation. (laughs) It's because I let go of the physical a little bit. Um, I mean, not completely because we can't, right? But I would love for you to speak into, like, if someone is brand new to even hearing that, and, you know, I often say, and I agree with the loving yourself thing, because (laughs) I heard that as young as, like, fifth grade, because I always had this thing where, like, I always wanted a boyfriend, and I always had a boyfriend, and it was very, like, when we would break up, it was like this devastating spiral. And I had people tell me that all the time, like, you can't love anyone else if you don't love yourself. And I hated that too. So when I say that, I'm glad that you shared that because like you said, there's so many, I've been having a couple days here in the past couple of days where it's like, everything sucks. Yep. (laughs) I'm with you. Do not love myself right now. <laughs> but you know, I still do like the bare minimum to make sure that I don't completely spiral. Whereas before, I would have just stayed in bed all day. So mm. I'm really proud of that, where it's like one way that I show myself that I appreciate my well being is I like get movement in every single day, whether it's a walk or a jog. And like, that is my present. I call it like that replaces what used to be. I used to be on antidepressants. And now when I do that every day, it's working for me in that exact same way. And that's just an example of how I care for myself. But if that conversation around, you know, doing that inner work, which I feel like is what you're saying when you talk those other pieces of who we are that needs nurturing how would you invite someone to start exploring that for themselves and what that means and how to go about that? Mm, this is such a rich question. I know. <laughs> okay. I, I first, no, it's, it's a great question. And I, I would imagine that there may be people who may not have access to what they imagine they would need to do this sort of work. And that simply is all a figment of imagination. I mean, there you can find resources and support for very, very little cost, if not free. Everything from support groups in, in Facebook to following people like yourself or, you know, relatability experts or coaches like me, whatever. So I guess the first step I would say is to, they could ask themselves, what do I need right now? And even to take some time, maybe set a timer, get out a notebook pad and 
for five minutes, just write that sentence over and over again. What I need right now is, what I need right now is, what I need right now is, and whatever comes out on the other end of the sentence, let it. It could be what I need right now is a nap. What I need right now is for my husband to do the dishes. What I need right now is for the stupid dog to stop barking. For what I need right now, you know, just like what I need right now is someone to clean my house. What I need right now is my boss to stop emailing me. Just whatever comes up and out to come up and out. And then once that five minutes is up and just keep going until the timer goes off, it's okay if some things repeat. But consider that an opportunity to let these things that are buried in us, that are holding us back or thinking that we don't have the capability to do this level of work, when we set aside intentional time for it to come up and out and onto paper, your body and your your highest and wisest self, yourself linked to your creator, probably is gonna it's gonna support you in bringing it out. So that'd be the first thing. And then second, like, what do we do with that? The second step, I would say to then look over what was written and start to categorize what you wrote into the type of need that it is. So for example, if one of the things was, I need a nap, put in four columns, is the nap designed to, <laughs> sorry, there's a train. Hopefully it's not too loud. Are you okay? Okay, great. So, yeah, okay, good. So I think if write out four columns, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, and look at each thing. So if they wrote nap, great. Which would a nap nurture you in? Because a nap may nurture a person both mentally and emotionally and physically. When the dog is barking though, the dog to stop barking <laughs> might only be mental because it's making you feel bananas, right? And I think at that point, if there is a visual in front of most people, and this is also kinesthetic because we're putting the pen to the paper. So this is an emotional experience that they can be having as well, which helps to burn it into who we are, which is a good thing. Then we can start to phrase, the third step would be to turn each of those things into a question, a question like, what is it about napping? What will a nap bring me? A nap will bring me peace, comfort, quiet, clarity. So start looking for the incentives in each thing. What will stopping the barking dog bring me? It'll bring me focus. It'll bring me quiet. It'll bring me peace of mind. It'll bring me joy. And I think if we can get in a habit of doing something as simple as that exercise, probably all in all, we're thinking 15 minutes, write out what you need over and over again, organize it by what category does it fall into, and then write down the incentive of having each thing happen. We can then turn them into actions and say, all right, yeah, I'm going to make time for that nap because that nap is not just a stinking nap. Right. That nap is going to bring me these 20 benefits. It's not just a walk. That walk is going to bring me all these things. The things I'm asking for, and here's the big one, they're not too petty or too small. The magnitude of receiving what we want is so much more than receiving what we get. Mm. The dog stopped barking. That's not petty. You're going to get these 15 things from it, but people don't ask because they think that their ask is too much or not warranted. So here's your permission slip, everyone. Ask for what you need, but you can't ask for what you need unless you know what you need. And you won't know what you need unless you ask yourself and give yourself time and space to answer the question. So, so, so good. And even just taking the time to sit down and do that. I mean, even me, myself, I still, even though I've had a similar practice to that, or I switch up what the practice is, just writing something down that helps me in that way. Sometimes I come up against so much resistance to actually sitting down and doing it. What is that? 
What? Polly. <laughs> That's normal. That's what that is. That's normal. Like my journal, full full disclosure, my journal, everyone, is sitting on my coffee table four feet away from me. I was supposed to do my journaling at 6.30 this morning before I left the house at seven to go help with family stuff across town. It's not done. But now that journal is going to sit front and center. And I have a whiteboard that I use in my office to check off the things I need to do. And if it gets done, beautiful. And if, if it doesn't get done, I also can remind myself that my actions do not determine who I am and also who I'm not. But I also know the incentive behind getting the journal done. And that's what's motivating me. I know the peace and clarity and creativity that comes to me when I do that. And that, that's money for me. You know, that, that's worth it. Absolutely. I agree completely. And sometimes it, I will like do it like kicking and screaming and cursing. Like, right. oh, I'm so annoyed <laughs> to do this. But what's on the other side of it, like you said, is so worth it. And, you know, that's a beautiful first step. And that leads me into the all or nothing thing where it's like when people come into my space, because I talk on the internet, how I healed my relationship with food and I stopped my addictive behaviors with food. And they look at me like, I mean, I even had someone yesterday. They're like, I feel like you're on a pedestal for me right now. And I'm like, please stop. No, <laughs> because I have gained a lot of control over food, but there are so many other things in my life that I'm still working on. And breaking up with the all or nothing mentality is what has had me be able to even share my story and be relatable. And I think that that writing in the notebook exercise that you just gave is the perfect one single thing someone could start implementing, like F the food, F the workouts, like forget everything else and start with something so small but I know that's so hard because we've been so designed to just go all in on these like crash diets where it's like, no, you have to exercise every day. You have to be in a calorie deficit. You have to do this. You have to do that in order to succeed. Mm. And, you know, as I was saying before we got on for me personally, that was never sustainable. It would work for the month or the couple months. And then I would go right back even, or maybe even deeper down right. into the destructive behaviors with food. Because for me, it was very, very, very self-destructing because mm. it was making me physically ill. It was causing issues in my relationships and my finances, and I was still doing it. And it was be now I can see okay, it's because I would do the insane restriction, the insane all or nothing. And then when I would finally crash and burn, it was this huge effort to where it's like, I don't even I'm just going to go do all of it. So mm -hmm. what would you say to those of us who it's like, I don't even want to do it if I can't do it all, or I, mm. I'm not good enough if I don't do all of the things that they're telling me to do. How do we break free from that? Oh, this is or so good. <laughs> this is so good. I, I want to preface this answer by saying that some of you may not like what I have to say on this because, <laughs> <laughs> because, and the reason is when someone presents that dilemma if I can't be all or nothing, I'm not going to do it. Right. So then their next question is, what do I do? And when we go take action to make a change happen, what we are doing is we are looking to our outer world outside of ourselves mm -hmm. to try and make an inner world better. Because sure, we each have our own aesthetic that we're likely aiming for in our health, as well as our health, right? But what is proven ineffective over and over and over and over again is when we put all the focus on the doing on the outside of us, 
and wanting something in our outer world to bring us what we want to feel, it doesn't work. Or it does work temporarily, but it does not have permanence. It is not transformation. So yes, it makes sense that people are saying, give me a new plan. Give me a new workout. Let me try something different to do. But as you just highlighted so eloquently, it does not does not have permanence. It doesn't stay. And the result and the aftermath tends to look like something else because again, those plans are handed to us by other people who are not us, by people who may think that they relate to us or understand us, but they are not us. And everyone is different. And what that removes from the equation when we give permission to something in our outer world to fix us, it removes us mm. from the equation. Why is the plan that worked for you, that worked for this person and that person, why would it be guaranteed to work for me? And I don't say that to be a downer. I say that because isn't the entire objective to have my physical body match the greatness of my internal world. I want my physical body to be as strong as my emotional resilience is. I want my physical body to glow because I feel warmth and content on the inside. So how is someone on the outside gonna give me the solution? So my invitation, the shakeup here, is to approach the next journey they attempt or go into Start with the inside and then go to the outside. And where this is very different is, and this is something we covered a lot in the workshop that you took with Liz and I, this is a feminine energy approach. So for those of you that may not be familiar, in a nutshell, we all have masculine energy and feminine energy. Masculine energy essentially is anything that's very direct. It's an action. It's outward. It points out like outer world. Feminine energy, however, is our inner world. It is all receptive and it's all nurturing. And a lot of people, the reason a lot of people are at wars with their body is because there's something that's trying to come to us that we're not ready to receive, whether that, because we think it's going to be traumatizing again. Really what's trying to come to us is love and joy and peace and contentment and fulfillment. And if we're not feeling worthy of receiving it, we are going to put up barriers to keep that from happening. So what I would say here is the next time anyone looks at what's the next plan I should do, ask yourself the question, how can I put myself into a place of receiving? every meal you eat every everything that you eat just have a moment of of gratitude to say i'm blessed that this is here and in my life that it has come to me that i didn't have to seek it out i know this is what i want because i am craving it because my intuitive self is that wise and that connected to holy spirit or whatever a person believes in, that a higher being of energy in some way. And I think that's the flip. We yeah. keep putting that responsibility on the outside and they're, they're not us. They're not us. So how can we be in a land of receiving and practice that? That's so beautiful. You know, that's, that's like a roadblock I've come up against in my career is like, I want to help people with this. What consumers want is a plan. They want, what did you eat? What did you not eat? What did you do? How did you do mm -hmm. it? And I say, well, this is what I did. And it's also not a one size fits all. I would love to work with you one-on-one -on -one so I can really understand you and what you need and what I of is the plan right and I feel like I'm failing people because you know there's 
I could, there's only so much I can do with that. There's only, only so much I can write in a PDF document <laughs> to give people what they need, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for these conversations because this really, really is, like you said, the transformation. And what would you, how would you define the difference between, or I guess what is transformation in comparison to what is not transformation? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it does. Oftentimes we will say in, as in the workshops that I lead and in the land of these types of, of personal and professional development realm, people are often seeking change in their life. And if you ask a person to tell you the change that they want to make, more often than not, the phrasing will sound something like, I want something more, or I want something better, or I want something different. So change is defined as seeking something more, something better, something different. And when to put this into context, or rather in or content rather, when people come to you, for example, and ask you for that plan, give me the plan. Because the plan they imagine is going to result in something more or something better or something different. But what they find in time is that the plan does not always create permanence for them. And the difference between change and transformation is transformation becomes, is permanent and it sticks. And it's not that the actions are going to look different between somebody who is implementing changes the changes will stick around. They might even stick around a really, 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 really long time. But I even, to use myself as an example, even when I was at my super fit era, doing twice a days and training people for figure competitions and bodybuilding shows and writing diets for people and coaching weightlifting, I was not nearly as at peace, confident, clear as I am today in a bigger body. And I attribute it to the internal changes. And that is what made it transformation instead of change. When I stopped beating myself up mentally and recognize, okay, I got to get my brain on board and my emotions and my mindset and my spirituality on board. If I want this physical thing to stick around. That is transformation. Transformation addresses the beingness of the entire individual. Again, the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. So kudos to you for customizing it to that degree with people, because that does ask of you as a wellness expert that you do get to know their mindset and their emotions and their, their spirit. Cause the body is the easy part. Sorry, people. And this is, I'm speaking from, I'm speaking from like hypothyroid, hypothyroidism hell over here, but like, you know, the, the body is the easy part Yeah. compared to creating that home in the mind that will allow it to stay. And that's the difference. Transformation is permanent. Yeah. It becomes you. Right. That's how I would describe it for me. It's like my conviction, that's the best word I can have Mm. to how important my well-being is to me is what has me say no to the foods that make me feel like crap or has me say yes to waking up at 6 a.m. to go on my walk before my kids get up, you know, but that took the inner mindset, emotional, spiritual, mental work, because when I was trying to do it without all of that, it was like literally not happening every (laughs) single day. I would make these grand plans to wake up and become a different person the next day and wake up, not snooze my alarm, which I had done for the past 20 years of my life. Yeah, And it was like you said, it's like, you're white knuckling it. It's this, and that is so masculine. That is, it the, is. Yes. And I am so excited that I 
have been introduced to the feminine power and to dive deeper into it because that truly is what's missing from the wellness industry. The diet industry is masculine, like 1000%. And that is why we're so annoyed that our husbands can just do whatever they want and <laughs> lose 30 pounds in their sleep. <laughs> I'm it's sure true. it has something to do with it. Um, you know, it's because we are so disconnected from our feminine, like our feminine power and understanding how important it is for us to nurture and nourish ourselves. And everything that we desire is on the other side of that. And that's, it's hard to, for me, what I've noticed, it's hard to kind of reprogram my thinking to believe that that's acceptable, especially when I'm in a partnership with a male who, so in the sacred feminine training, you guys were like, do not try to go explain this to your partner, your male partner. (laughs) And I learned the hard way because that's how I do life. And he was, he was like, no, that's wrong. <laughs> like, I love you so much. Okay. <laughs> and that's something else. And I think that that's like, this is a great last thing to touch on. What do you say to the women and men? Cause I've been in my community too, where it's like their partners don't seem to have this problem, this problem with food, or they're not interested in transformation. What is your advice to them in them being able to step into their power, like following that inner guidance that they know, but coming up against that, that relationship that seems to be holding them back? Hmm. It's a good question. When I want to highlight that masculine and feminine energy are in all persons, we all have both. And I, in my relationship, I'm in a relationship with a man and in my own relationship, I tend to lean more toward my feminine energy when I'm with him. But then when I'm running my business and my coaching practice and doing all my marketing, et cetera, I'm leaning into my masculine energy. And so I'm, I'm probably like a 60, 40 split. 60% of the time I'm in my feminine, very creative, very nurturing, very loving. And then 40% of the time I'm kicking ass, right? And I'm getting things done and I love a checklist and I love a list. I need more masculine. I just need to say, I'm, I think I'm 80, 20 right now. And absolutely. And my partner is, is probably very 80, 20, if not 90, 10 of masculine to feminine. And there are points in time. So I I first wanted to highlight that the energies that Bracey and I are talking about, like this is not related to a person's gender or to their sex. Um, So a person listening to this, we might be describing living more masculine or attacking your health in a more masculine way but a woman is hearing that and saying, wait a minute, but that's me. Yep. Totally. Okay. Totally. All right. And it could be a man listening who feels like he does take a more nurturing approach and maybe he does crave more um, directness or plan of action, et cetera. So that's the first thing that I want to say. And for people who are in partnerships or even family situations, like a single parent who's raising kids. That's another one. Doesn't always have to be a significant other, or it could be family members, right? Who, for whatever reason, they are uncomfortable with the the changes that a person is looking to make in their life. And what I consistently remind myself when I run into that is as we make changes to who we are, as we transform, to have compassion for the people in our life who don't see us eye to eye, that is so critical because unless a person, and this is a whole episode I did on my podcast, 
unless a, a, a person in our life has been through it with their health challenges and their health journey, they are not going to relate to us. They are not. They're simply not. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want anyone to waste any more time or energy or questioning, am I in a bad relationship because they don't relate to me or they're not cheering me on and someone who's I'm in a partnership with should really cheer me on. They're not going to think to support you in those ways if they cannot relate. And we've got to stop holding it against those people who just don't get it. Let Understand that they're not going to get it. That's the first, the first component of that. And secondary to that is, again, there's a difference between relating and understanding. So maybe your partner doesn't relate. Maybe your mother doesn't relate. Maybe your kids don't relate. Maybe everyone's looking at you and saying, you look fantastic. Why do you need to do anything different than what you're doing? It's okay if people don't relate, but can we aim then to get to a place where they can understand you? They won't relate, but they can understand why it's important to you. And they're never going to understand why it's important to you if you do not understand why it's important to you. And a lot of people I think are guilty, especially as we get older, looking back and saying, okay, now I'm in my forties and I want to be in the level of health I was pre-baby or in my twenties, or I'm, you know, I'm now post-menopausal and I want to get back to where I was in my late thirties. We're caught, we have this habit of comparing ourselves or trying to get ourselves to be someone that we were in the past. Right. That is not an effective goal. But if you can say, here's who I am today, this is why this is important to me today as the person I am right now at this age and this season of my life in this chapter, and then you can clearly and eloquently explain that to the people you care about, you can at least get to a point of understanding and give them permission not to relate to you instead of condemning them for it or being angry with them. That's what support groups are for. We find yes. communities, we find people like Bracy or like myself, people who are in this work in some capacity. We are your community. Yeah. But we don't need to hate people or push people away because they don't relate. That's just a waste of time. We can laugh at it and go, oh, that's funny. I thought they were going to relate for a minute. Oopsie. <laughs> Oopsie. Moving on. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, I mean, I've even gone as far to say I'm glad they don't relate with some of the mm. stuff that I've struggled with with food you know and I think that that brings a sort of peace too and when you were talking about compassion compassion has been one of the hardest things for me to even grasp what it actually means and for me to fully step into but it has been the most transformative tool that I've had to step into throughout my journey. So I'm so glad that you touched on that and actually filmed a podcast or recorded a podcast last week. And I was talking about, you know, releasing the need to care what people think of you. And I was saying, I even cried on the podcast because I spent so much time like begging the people in my life to understand or relate to me. And it wasted so much energy and it tore mm. my heart into pieces, spending so much time on it versus having compassion and understanding that they just can't understand or they can't relate. And when I stopped trying to make them understand and just started living my life because I got clear on under, like you said, you have to understand for yourself before anyone else can understand. That's what was missing for me. Mm. And when I got clear on that, it was evident to those people to now where they might relate. I wish they would admit that they relate. That <laughs> <laughs> hasn't gone away, but they understand why I'm doing it because I show up in such a convicted way. 
I feel like that goes along the lines of like, we train people how to treat us. thousand percent. I was going to say that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As shown to be true for me too. When I was begging them for them to accept me, I was training them to see me as this pitiful little person that needed to be accepted. And now it's like, I'm standing in my power. This is who I am. And I am this way, whether you like it or not, I still love you, whether you like it or not. And this is who I am Mm -hmm. and things have started to shift. So that's a beautiful, beautiful conversation. And then like what you said about community is spot on. I say it all the time. Stop trying to do it alone. There are people out there who get it. And if you're constantly trying to make the people in your life get it when they just can't, you're digging yourself farther into that hole of resistance. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you could find that community of people who get it, the resistance kind of starts to melt away because you don't feel so disconnected. You know, when you're on that journey alone, humans are not supposed to be disconnected. We're Mm -hmm. supposed to be so much more connected than we are right now. And and is that piece of connection also feminine energy? Is that a part of that at all? Feminine energy tends to be characterized by intuitive, soulful, um, let's see another like compassionate, nurturing, loving energy and actions. So it is very much, let's say a mama bear energy, but there's also a fierceness that comes with it where that level of love can cause someone to, to give you that mom look of like, uh, no, I don't think so. So it's a good blend, but it comes from that, that heartfelt place of deep love and care attention to detail Mm -hmm. all the details matter because we don't want to leave anything out or any one out so I think it's fair to say and compassion is definitely part of the feminine energy compassion hack by the way anyone um compassion in short is love in action Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking to yourself, I'm not really a compassionate person, you know, I'm kind of self-centered. I don't really, I don't really think about people naturally that easily. Um, I catch myself, I'm guilty of that at times. And I have to remind myself, again, compassion is love in action. So the question to myself is, how can I show love to this person or to someone or something right now? And showing love looks like care just care. Maybe do something nice. Maybe a kind word. It could be a lot of things, but compassion is love and action. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I spent a lot of time in judgment and for me, what cured my judgment was compassion Oh yeah, for myself and for others. And, you know, judgment was doing nothing for me or anyone else. Um, awesome, Holly. Well, I feel like that was a lot of good information for this episode. <laughs> I appreciate good. it so much. Do you feel like there's anything that you wanted to add or touch on that we maybe missed or? No, I just realized my microphone's been unplugged for Lord knows how long. That's okay. <laughs> well, I still hear you. Once I'll be all seriously. right. All right. No. Sorry, well, everybody. Then if you don't tell us where we can find you, um, about your podcast, what else maybe I don't know about what you offer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the quickest way to connect with me is through social media. So my social media, I am on Instagram at holly.burby.coaching. I'm sure the spelling of my name will be somewhere in the show notes. It will. Uh, (laughs) uh, You can find me also on TikTok at Holly Burby. So I also have a following on TikTok like Bracey does. That's another fun place. Um, And on LinkedIn, if you go to my website, which is hollyburby.com, you can connect with me there. There is a free download available to you at hollyburby.com called the number one thing you need to know that's hurting your relationships. And it's a secret thing that you're not knowing. And so that's a free download to anyone that wants to receive it. 
Um, and in addition to that, I work with people one-on-one -on -one in private coaching, and I do have online courses as well. So connect with me, write me, however you want to get in, in contact or in touch with me. <laughs> All right. So the best way for people to connect with me, and thank you for asking, is through social media. So my website is hollyburby.com, B-E-R-U-B-E. Uh, you can also see the majority of my free content in videos on Facebook, on Instagram. My Instagram is holly.burby.coaching, as well as on TikTok, which is at hollyburby. Um, I have been making free video content, short form and long form, since 2014 or 2015. So there is so much there for free. And you can also listen to my podcast, which is called Surprisingly Relatable. And that is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and most other streaming apps. So write me, contact me. I do take personal one-on-one -on -one coaching clients, as well as I have online courses available for purchase as well. And there's a free download on my website right now if you want a free gift at hollyburby.com. It is called the number one thing that you don't know about that is hurting your relationships. So that one reveal will teach you a lot about how to relate to yourself, how to relate to others, especially when you feel like you are not. So I hope you all go grab it and enjoy. Awesome. Thank you so much, Holly. And I honestly want to have you back on to talk more about feminine and masculine energy and how yeah. it relates to healing in regard to health and wellness, if you're open to it. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I would love day. that. I know. I, I, I love these topics. It's great. You did a great job. Thank you so much for having yeah. me. Thank you for being here and guys, let us know what you thought and definitely like Holly said, connect with her, let her know what you thought of this episode and until next time, happy healing and thank you for listening. Bye guys.